good to have you here. And if you have a, a Bible with you, um, would you turn with me to Mark's Gospel? That's in the New Testament. If you cut your Bible in half and turn right, um, you're going to find it, the New Testament starts with the book of Matthew, which is um, Matthew's eyewitness account of Jesus and how he operated. And then we get to the book of Mark. And we believe probably that Mark is Peter, Jesus' best friend's eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. And Mark reads a little bit like, if you forgive me, the comic strip version of the gospel. It's like this and then this and then this and then the other thing and this is how Jesus operated. It's like the edited highlights, fast-paced, very blunt, very direct, this is what Jesus did. And what we're trying to do over these next few weeks is walk with Mark through the life of Jesus and say, who actually is he? Because that's the, the key question, isn't it, of our world. Who is Jesus? What is he doing? What does it mean to follow him? What would I have to be like to know Jesus? How can I have more of Jesus? If it's real, then it's the most profound question in, in the world. What's Jesus doing? And we're going to take a look at a, a story that's just staggering today about the impact of the power of Jesus. I'm going to read from Mark's Gospel, chapter 5 and verse 21. Um, When Jesus encounters two women and leaves them radically changed. You believe that can happen? Four or five of you? kind of believe that Jesus could still encounter people and leave people radically transformed, like from the inside out transformed, so you, you wouldn't notice the same person. You go, how did that? When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. The large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciple answered. In other words, are you nuts? And yet you asked, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. 
they said it much more compassionately than I just did, I think. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him after he put them all out. I love that. Sometimes we have this picture of Jesus being all kind of, you know, holy. Sometimes we, we, we kind of domesticate the whole thing, don't we? After Jesus put them out. I love that. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Can you imagine that scene? Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Isn't that great? (laughs) Don't tell anyone. Have some Cheerios. We're good to go. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We love the way you operate. We love your word. We love how it speaks dynamically truth to our lives. And we ask that you would just speak truth to us. We ask that you take the... this thing which is so familiar to so many of us and completely weird to others and help us understand what it is you might be saying to us today. Amen. So, um, now that I'm 50, uh, I've decided to have a midlife crisis and I, I kind of think you may, may as well make it a good one, although I'm not sure I chose a good one. Y- yesterday, uh, with a little help from a friend, mm, a lot of help from a friend, mm, I just stood around and watched, and, and, and uh, I converted our garage into a gym. I'm serious, I did. We have a, a heavy MMA bag. Anyone know what that is? It's like a, it's like a, a, a punch bag on steroids. Um, I found it in a charity shop and thought, I'll have that. Uh, we have a chin bar that I was sent as a present. Who, what kind of present is that? <laughs> what are they saying to me when they send me a chin bar as a, as, as a present? And I have a workout bench that I got from Aldi or Lidl. I never know the difference between the two. You know how you buy things from Aldi and Lidl, don't you? You go in for kidney beans and you come out with a workout bench and a circular saw no kidney beans because they don't have kidney beans and then you have to explain to your wife why you have a a workout bench and a circular saw probably neither of which you'll ever use but they only cost you £4.33 so it's fine Um, uh, so I I have this and and, and this gym is feeding my addiction here is my addiction I love makeover I do. I love the whole concept of something that was becomes something better. Something that was bad becomes something better. So I love the concept of the, the garage being used to be the dumping ground of the house. And now it looks great. You open it up and it looks like somebody actually works out in this place. Um, and and I, beyond that, I actually like the concept, at least it's in my head, of the body that's going to shift and change and six-pack summer and all that kind of stuff. I like that... <laughs> I like that concept. I'm a total sucker 
for makeover. This is why I like those TV shows. How many of you like those TV shows? I don't know what it is. I kind of like, like the idea that you can take a rundown old house and it can become this palace, or you can take a rundown old body and it can become this temple, or you can, you can th- th- that, these things can shift and change. It's why I love Jesus so much, or at least one of the reasons, because he's the king of extreme makeover of total life transformation, of inside-out transformation, of never-the-same-again transformation. And so today we're going to meet two women who experience something that can only really be described as extreme makeover, who have their lives turned upside down, and we're going to meet the God, more importantly, who's the only one that can bring this about. You ready for this? Let's go. So the question for the day is this, have you ever wanted to change your life? And if you shake your head, you're lying. I'm sure, I'm sure we probably worked through this stuff and I'm probably, right now you're very happy and comfortable, but I'm, I'm sure that there have been moments when you said, I wish I could, and there are certain things that you could change right now. This fitness stuff you could change right now, I'm just looking at some of you. Um, this, <laughs> did I just do that? That's not in my notes, and I apologize to anybody that I made eye contact with in that moment. <laughs> there's fitness stuff that we could all, you know, there's, there's, um, there's financial stuff I'm sure that you could probably shift and change. You could make some decisions and do some stuff, and it may take a time, but you could do some stuff. There's, there's friendships that you could shift and change. There's people that are bad for you and people that, you know, you need to invest in. There's, there's, there's stuff that you could change, and there's stuff that you believe you can't change, aren't there? Do you know that decision you made? years ago that resulted in in that that weekend that you went on that you should never have gone on that relationship you engaged in that you shouldn't have engaged in or the one that you avoided that you shouldn't have avoided wouldn't it be amazing if what was on offer was actually extreme makeover where you could have a, a do again I play golf with some people and they want to have a mulligan. It means that when you hit a really bad shot and you hit it out of bounds, you can pretend it didn't happen and have another go. Wouldn't it be amazing if in life you could get a mulligan, an extreme life makeover? Jesus walks into a world where they also wanted this kind of change because they knew there was more to life than the physical stuff. They knew there was more to life than just what you could touch and what you could feel. They had been taught this all of their lives and it was kind of tattooed on their hearts. That the key to this kind of change, the only possibility of this kind of change was God. The key to fulfillment in life, the key to do again, the key to fresh was was God, but they could never quite get hold of God and everything in their structures that stopped them getting hold of God and then Jesus shows up and some people said that he was God in a body and suddenly you could get hold of God and you could understand God and people liked his preaching because he taught with authority almost like nobody else who'd ever taught the Bible before to them he taught with authority but they loved his power because it changed people's lives. It was extreme makeover. 
And in, in Mark's gospel in chapter 5, verse 21 through 43, keep it open in, in front of you, Jesus heals two women. Extreme makeover. But it's really the story of two touches. That's all it is. It's the story of two touches. That there's, there's something about touch, isn't there? Something really profound about, about human. Turn to the person sitting next to you and, and shake them by the hand. This is called interaction. Shake them. There's something about skin on skin, physical touch, that makes a difference. That's why we shake people by the hand and don't just look people in the eye and say hi. We shake people by the hand because there's something about... Now, now stretch your hands out. Stretch your arms right out. And now turn to the person sitting next to you. No, I'm not going to do it. You see, now what happens, if, if this was in America, if I was teaching in America, everyone would stand up, give people a high five, hug each other, hug it out, the whole thing. But in Britain, everyone gets something paralyzed by that. <gasps> I'm going to have to hug somebody. I'm glad I'm sitting next to my partner because I already hugged them today. But if I was sitting next to someone else, that's just a bit weird. And what are we? But there is something, there's something about physical touch. Two women get touched. One woman is 12 years old, old and has a life-threatening fever or disease. The other woman is older and has a 12-year disease. Let's start with the girl. Now, I want you to notice that this girl is not just any girl. It's not just any girl. This is the daughter of, like, the big deal in town. This is the daughter of Jairus. He's the synagogue leader. And if you were the synagogue leader, you were the man. The person that everyone knew and everyone understood that was, was the person who, who, who spoke profoundly into people's lives. And, and his daughter is probably also a big deal. She's like kind of B-list Instagram kind of celebrity because everyone knew who she was by default. And so we've got the man's daughter who's got a life-threatening disease and he comes to the healer because he'd heard some stuff about Jesus being a doctor of another kind. And verse 21 to 24, this is incredible. He's so worried about his daughter that he, the man in the town, prostrates himself before Jesus in a way that was unheard of and says, would you come? Would you come? Just put a touch. Just touch my daughter. And I know that that touch is going to heal her and there is a crowd and they're jostling and they're shoving and they're wanting a piece of Jesus because if this girl is a B-list celebrity, Jesus is the celebrity of his day. He's like Justin Bieber, Brenny Brown, Kanye West and Pope Francis squared. He's like kind of got the whole deal going. Everyone wants to know Jesus because Jesus is doing stuff that nobody else is doing and Jesus is speaking stuff that nobody else is speaking. And in a world with very few opportunities for entertainment, you're going to come and find Jesus. And Jesus starts walking to the house and everyone's following because they're hoping to see him do something incredible and then something happens. Another woman enters the scene. She has a hemorrhage. She's had a hemorrhage for 12 years. And now... Those, those of us who are reading this with our modern ears are thinking, that sucks. That's really bad. I mean, to be bleeding for 12 years is, is, is a really hard and difficult affliction, but we, we don't even come close to understanding what's going on here because, because these are Jewish people who follow the laws of Moses very carefully. And the laws of Moses had said, particularly in Leviticus chapter 15, that when a woman is in her menstrual cycle, she is unclean. Which kind of with our modern ears just sucks, doesn't it? But, but that's, that's, what it, 
That's what it says. And an unclean person must remove herself from the population and live in isolation until she becomes clean again. Which meant that when they were journeying through the wilderness, what happened was she would have to take herself outside of the camp. Probably, tradition says, they would have a, they'd pitch a tent outside the camp and all the women who were in their menstrual cycle would go and live together in that tent for about a week until their cycle had concluded. She waited for her cycle to pass. And then she did a purification ceremony and she was good to go until the next month. And before you say I'm not qualified to even speak about this, I totally agree. However, I do have four daughters and if there's any man in the building who is qualified to talk to her, maybe I, well, I'm still not qualified, but, 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 but here's, here's, here's the thing. Imagine if your cycle had never stopped for 12 years. This woman had been in isolation for 12 years. Just imagine you've been to every doctor, every alternative therapist, every faith healer, you've spent all your money, the Bible says, and you've done this because until you stop bleeding, you're an outcast. And no one had touched her for 12 years. And she'd not touched anyone for 12 years. She couldn't go to church for 12 years, some of you think that's a good thing. She couldn't go for a flat white with her mates and avocado toast because she had no mates, because she had no relationship with anyone for 12 years. I wonder who those people are today in our city, in our world, who've been so far pushed to the margins that they are untouchable. so grateful for people who love Jesus and people who don't yet who are asking that question I'm so grateful for Bethany Christian Trust for Soul Food for Street Lights for Sanctuary for, for our counseling service for any individual who asks that question because I think it's a Jesus question and so the woman pushes through the crowd and she touches I love this she touches the hem of Jesus' cloak with notice, notice with fear and faith. Fear and, and faith. She reaches out intentionally. I reckon she'd never touched anyone for 12 years intentionally. It's like the first time. That's incredible. But, but what's more incredible, check this, Jesus stops. Jesus knows exactly what's happened and it's totally ridiculous. In the middle of the crowd, who touched me? And Jesus' disciples said, are you for real? That's the translation of the Greek there. Are you for real? Everyone touched you, Jesus. I mean, Peter's trying to do his best security of the Messiah. <laughs> you can just imagine it, can't you? Out of the way. Messiah coming through, best mate. And he's, you can see Peter. I'm going to meet Peter one day in heaven. He's going to go, really? You said those things about me? He's probably punched me in the face. And Jesus... She reaches out with fear and faith and he touches her personally with power. He sees this woman. He sees the longing, the desperation, the courage it took for her to do what she did and he touches her and he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Listen, listen. God always responds to faith and fear. 
and he sees you. He sees you in a, in a crowd like this, faith and fear. And he's not waiting for perfect. I love that. He's not waiting for perfect. He's not waiting till you're fearless. He's responding to personal. Because this God is love, a gentle love, tailored love, just what you need love, love for you now, love. She's healed. Isn't that incredible? 12 years, and she's, she's totally, she knows it. She knows it because power has gone out from Jesus. And she, she knows something has happened in her. And then a messenger comes from Jairus' house. Jesus, you took too long, the girl is dead. You took too long, the girl... Oh my word. And now nobody's interested in the forgotten lady. They're all thinking the man's daughter, the, ma- the, ma- the man's daughter is dead. What's Jesus going to do? Jesus, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? And Jesus leaves the crowd and he takes a select few with him into the room with the dead girl and he touches her. He touches her and she gets up. He says, she's only been sleeping, don't worry about it. She's not dead, and he touches her. And, and once again, I don't know why. Why would he wait until she was dead? I mean, she, he's Jesus. He could do, he could do it. Why would, why, would, why would it take 12 years for God to heal? I, 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 don't, I, don't I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe we are not truly open to allowing our Savior to free us until we totally realize how absolutely imprisoned we are. While we're still trying to get this to happen and that to happen and fix it and to sort it and make it happen, maybe we're not absolutely open to allowing God to say, I want to come, I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we have to come to the end of ourselves before we're ready for an extreme makeover. I just can't, can't do it. Why does Jesus leave it so late? I, I don't know. Maybe so that you would know that it's never too late. Maybe he set that whole deal up so that you would know. Because that's so like God, isn't it? Maybe he set that whole deal up so that you would know that it's never too bad, that he can't heal it, and it's never too late that he can't deal with it. I don't, I don't know, I don't know. But I do know this. Here's what I know. He's got time for you. This, this God who shouldn't have, has time for you. This, Jesus shouldn't have time for anybody. I, I don't know what his day rate was. <laughs> Could you imagine? I, I don't know what, I don't know, I, I just, but he shouldn't have time. He's on, he's on the mission to end all missions. He should just be going, look, guys, sorry. Honestly, I can't, I've crossed, empty tomb, resurrect, that's, that's where I'm going. And, but but he, he stops. And he always does. Because he knows you. And he knows what's going on with you. And he's not freaked out by you. And here's the thing, he's not looking over his shoulder at the party of your life someone more important to hang out with you know what I mean don't you 
you know, you've been in those situations where you're talking with someone and you kind of suspect that they're waiting for the next person who's more, that's, that's, that's not God. He's got time for you. In, in both cases, the touches were forbidden touches. The law of Moses clearly states that if, if a person touches a woman at that time of the month or, or touches a dead body, that person would become unclean. They were forbidden touches. Any, any person would know that. Any male Jew would definitely know this. And Jesus says, listen, I am willing to break every convention and social norm and tradition to bring about extreme makeover in your life. I don't care. Because love is bigger than law. And people are more important than principles. So stop the traffic <laughs> for you. I don't, I don't know. But I do know this. I know that he wants to free you. I think, I think that's what this passage of Scripture... His, his touch, listen, his touch is not constricting, it's comforting. So often religion and, and religious teaching has portrayed Jesus' touch as somehow being restricting. If Jesus touches you, it's a good thing, but what's going to happen if Jesus touches you is going to restrict your life. And, and, and from that point onwards, you've got to behave in this way and you've got to do these things and there's a whole bunch of things you cannot do. Forget about the transforming thing. The thing you've got to worry about is not conforming any longer to the pattern of this world. Here's, here's the thing. When Jesus touches you, it's not going to hold you back. It's going to free you up. It's not going to hold you back. It's going to free you up. Because Jesus is changing the whole narrative about God. That's what's going on here. These women had grown up in a society with an understanding of God. That he was massive and powerful, but his touch was to be feared. His touch required obedience. So his touch was restricting, 613 laws restricting, actually. If you are outside of the legal system, outside of the camp restricting, isolated restricting. And here comes Jesus ripping up the rule book. There's a new law in town, it's the way of love. And he comes touching when he shouldn't have touched. And he comes freeing when everyone thinks they're bound for life. And he comes forgiving when people think they're trapped in that cycle of unforgiveness. And he comes healing when people say, there's no way I'll ever be whole again. And in doing so, he's correcting a distorted view of God that says God is some kind of dispassionate, out there, forced thing, ogre. And he's saying, no, God is a father. As a father, he loves you. And one touch from the king is going to change everything. It can change everything. His touch is life. And he's here. That's why I'm bothering speaking to you. Otherwise I wouldn't. I'd stayed in bed or I'd gone to the gym in my garage. He's here. And when he's here, the possibilities are endless. When he's here, dead things come to life. And things that you think are un, impossible become entirely possible. When he's here, it's not too late. 
When he's here, his touch is an invitation to freedom. When he's here, his touch is an invitation to extreme makeover. It changes everything. It's not too bad. It's not too late. It's totally possible. So here's the two questions that we're going to close with today, and then I'll sit down and stop talking. Question number one. How do you need to be touched by God today? It's kind of an invitation question. Do, do, you, do you need a touch from God today? Is there something that needs healed? Something that needs dealt with? Something that needs forgiven? Some part that needs loved? Some part that feels dead? Some stuff you've dismissed as never being possible? One touch from the king changes everything. Second question, and it flows from the first. Who needs your touch today? Who, who needs a touch from the king today that could be ministered through you? Because they're outside the camp and they've given up. And they say there is no way. And the reason I can ask those questions is because the Jesus that walked the streets of Israel 2,000 years ago and spoke with authority and healed with power is exactly the same Jesus that walks amongst us today and walks the streets of Edinburgh and does the same stuff. And the whole reason for this is that I might inspire and encourage you to believe that, receive that, and take that for people who need a touch from the king. Let's pray. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you now. Spirit of Jesus. Spirit who touches lives changes situations, heals hearts, transforms minds. Spirit who meets us in the broken moments and the joyful moments, would you come now? We thank you for your presence and for this stuff we appropriate your presence. just for a moment, just sit with him in those questions. Where do you need a touch? Who needs a touch?